Liverpool trying to hunt down Manchester United. Torres, he's Rob Torre! Parry by Fabianski, unfortunately for Arsenal, Sylvester first at the scene. He's paid the price, it's Nasri. Now it's Fabregas, chance for Arsenal, and Arsene has scored at the cop end. And indeed that has quietened the world-famous cop. Arsenal celebrate, and you know what, so do Manchester United and Chelsea. And again, Kaut, and Torres! Liverpool's number nine with the rescue act. And now it's Dirk Kaut. And Arsenal looks shaky. And there's Ben Ayoun! Somehow pulled away. It's a goal. It's given. Josip Ben Ayoun's effort across the line. And he lies flat out at the cop end. But when he comes round, he'll be acclaimed as a hero. Arsibin, slapped by Arbeloa. Arsibin shoots and scores wonderfully. Another twist in the title race. Arbeloa culpable. But what a finish from the Russian, Andre Arsibin. Oh, it's straight to Arsibin. It's a hat trick from Russia with love. A hat trick for Andre Arsibin on his Anfield debut. How big a blow to Liverpool's hopes is that? Torres teasing. Walcott and the roadrunner is on his way. Alonso, last man back, releases it. Arshavin four. Just astonishing. And it may, just may, be the goal that denies Liverpool the Premier League title. Maturano. For the second time in a week, Liverpool are involved in a game that's 4-4. There's the whistle. Liverpool out on their feet. They do go top. But what a game. Oh man, unbelievable. Eloquent, exceedingly listenable. Oh, I'm talking about John Champion. One of the hardest working football commentators of our time. I think I just love his commentary style. Coupled with the, a knack of saying the right thing at the right time has made him a household name to viewers right across the world. Now, you've got to be agreeing with me, though, that his ability to strike that equal balance of witty remarks and also not talking too much during the games, I think he's got exactly that. A champion of the microphone. And he joins us live on the line. Good evening, Mr. John Champion. Welcome to Marawa Sports Worldwide. Thank you, Robert. It's lovely to be with you. I hope you're keeping safe and keeping well, and I hope all your listeners are as well. Social distancing, broadcasting from somewhere, someplace. Somehow, John, I'm not even in the studio, but look at technology linking me up to you, one of my most favorite commentators in the world. I love it. Well, it's great to be talking to you. I have to say that, I mean, given the current circumstances around the world, I'm not the most um, 
technologically savvy of people, but I find myself broadcasting by all manner of means that I didn't even know existed two months ago. <laughs> things like Zoom, for example. I seem to spend half my life on it at the moment. But isn't it great that we've got these things to keep us all in touch? Who would have ever thought that the invention of all of these gadgets would come in very handy for some reason or another. I always think that these things were rehearsed, John. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't. I was listening to that commentary. I, I think, number one, because we, we, we miss football so much, and number two, because of just the intensity of the kind of broadcast uh, that you are, I actually thought that was a live game. You know, I found myself, in, I don't know, sort of immersed in this whole broadcasting vibe that you were dishing out there. I don't know how you felt because you're, you're listening to your own voice. Well, it's, it's, I, do you know, Robert, I struggle to listen to my own voice. I always have from my very earliest days as a broadcaster when I really needed to because I needed to analyze whether I was doing okay or not. And yeah. I found it very, very awkward then. And I still find it awkward now. Although having said that, I, I do agree. I mean, it's lovely, isn't it? In these times, uh, just to lose ourselves for a few minutes and imagine that we actually are at Anfield or watching a game from Anfield again. And I mean, that was 11 years ago this week, wasn't it? The 21st of April 2009 that Arshavin scored oh, four wow. in that thriller uh, against Liverpool that ended four apiece. And it's, it's wonderful, I think, that um, archive footage and archive recordings, whether on TV or radio, can transport us back to happier times and just for a moment or two we can escape the concerns that we might have at, at this time in our lives. I mean, you almost answered a question I was going to ask you about uh, the ability of memory. I mean, we didn't even rehearse this. We didn't even tell you what we we're going to be playing. I just said, you know what, I need a bit of John Champion before I speak to the man himself. And you remembered exactly the date, the, the game, the score, everything else. I mean, how important has that been just generally in terms of your, your everyday psyche where you know that stats are important, memory is important, recollection is important, and there you are, you delivered today. Well, I have to confess that I did cheat, Robert, because whilst I was listening to you <laughs> building me up, I was on my computer as well, and I did look up, because I was aware, I'd seen on Twitter uh, yes. various uh, links suggesting that the anniversary of that game had been in the past yeah. few days, so I'm afraid I did look it up and check. But in, in reference to your question about memory and how important it is, I think very, but there are different sorts of memory. I mean, yes, because that was a, an all-time Premier League classic, it is a game that constantly is brought up when I'm talking to people about my commentary history. Um, mm. But I think a short-term memory is almost more important for someone that does a, a job like mine. Preparing for a game can be a two or perhaps at best three-day process, doing all your research, your stats, uh, maybe looking at tapes of recent matches of, of both sides, trying to find out some interesting nuggets and facts that you might throw into the commentary if the game's in a, a little bit of a lull. Um, but at the same time, it takes me back to my days at school. I was no sort of academic or student at all. My exam results at the end of my school time were, were horrendously awful. Um, but it does just remind me of that process of revising for an exam and cramming and trying to get uh, information into your mind in maybe a 24-hour period ahead of sitting an exam paper the next day so that it's there fresh to be called upon. It's very much the same preparing for a, a television or radio football commentary. But then as soon as the game's over, you, you learn to compartmentalize and you shelve the research you've just done. Most of it disappears. And uh, then you're on to the next project because that's the nature of being a modern football commentator. You don't commentate once every three weeks. You do it three times a week. So I think that's certainly how I've learned to use memory very much on a short-term basis. Use it 
benefit from it and then put it away and move on to the next thing. That is amazing, though, because a lot of people are always fascinated, though, John, by the ability, and I've used this example before, let's say Thierry Henry was able to score a goal and he was using his head, and out of maybe 85 goals that he had scored in his career, that was the first goal that he would be scoring using his head. And as commentators, I mean, it's happening, it's real time, you're calling a game, so there is no prior knowledge of what was about to happen, but you will be able to draft into that commentary the fact that, you know what, out of 85 goals that Thierry Henry has scored, this is his first goal that he's used with his head. Well, there are two reasons for that, and one is nothing at all to do with the commentator. It's to do with the excellent stats people that we have backing us up all the time. And hopefully, if something like that happens, and you don't happen to have that written down as a note uh, on your commentary sheet in front of you, then the statistician in the studio will press down the talkback key and say in your right ear, by the way, that's Henri's first ever goal in the Premier League with his head. Uh, alternate to that, and giving ourselves a bit of a pat on the back, I think you get to the stage with decorated players like Thierry Henry, where if he's got to 85 Premier League goals and has never scored with his head, I'd like to think that I and my ilk would have researched that and would have a little note and would almost be waiting for it to happen if it was yes. with someone of a, a profile as high as Henri. So I think that's part of the job, really, just being across that sort of thing and being aware that it may just happen. I mean, so much of the research that we do, Robert, actually never bears fruit on the air. Uh, And it makes it so much more gratifying when it does. I mean, one of the best examples I could give you uh, would be an FA Cup final, as I I called, um, involving Everton and Chelsea some years ago, where Louis Saha scored after, I think, 27 seconds. Um, And people immediately leapt upon that as being the fastest goal ever in an FA Cup final, going all the way back to the first final in the the 1870s. Um, And I was uh, roundly criticised for saying it was the second fastest goal ever in in an FA Cup final. I think people in their minds had Roberto Di Matteo scoring after 43 seconds for Chelsea in the 1997 final against Middlesbrough. And I, because for an FA Cup final you do not just two or three days preparation, you do two or three weeks because it's such a, an important showpiece fixture. I'd found a, a gentleman called Bob Chat who had scored yes. up to 24 seconds uh, for the Old Etonians in the 1895 final. Um, and for, for a day or so, I was roundly criticized, certainly here in the UK, for, for messing up the big moment and saying that this wasn't the fastest goal ever in a, an FA Cup final. And only after about 24, 48 hours did other people catch up with the research I'd done. And in the end, I got a pat on the back to say, well done for getting it right. But <laughs> it just shows you that a lot of that research, and, and that, that's one example where it did bear fruit. There's probably another 99 to go in tandem with that, where you've researched something that could be a great line if something happens, but that thing never happens. So that's part of the joy and the frustration of the job. Oh, it's, a, it's a brilliant uh, ebb and flow, though, John. I mean, when you, when, when you listen to that. And, and you're somebody, I think, when was it, um, about two years ago, you, you did something like eight, 185 matches in just one season or one calendar year. I think it was one season. Th- that is crazy. How, how do you manage to go through all of that? Uh, and we talk about your, your transition from what you were doing in the UK and then having to move across to the United States of America, uh, where yeah. the games would have been, you know, dropped quite significantly. I think it was around about 35 games that you had to do. But from 185, what does well, that take is- out of a human being like yourself? 
It takes too much, Robert. And if I'm being perfectly honest, that's one of the reasons that I decided to make the move to the United States. I mean, they, the job, uh, certainly based in the United Kingdom, has changed so much in the 36 years that I've been doing it. I started when I was 18 years of age on the radio. Uh, I moved to television when I was 30. So I, I've been doing TV for nearly a quarter of a century. And to start with, when I first worked for the BBC and then for ITV, the main commercial broadcaster here in the UK, I would do 35 or 40 games a season, and that was it. And it meant you could give every game the due care and attention that you wanted to professionally and you felt that it deserved. But over time, as the television companies here have been forced to pay higher and higher rights fees for the ability and the right just to put the Premier League or whatever the competition might be, Champions League, La Liga, on the TV, you know, we're now at the point where for Sky Television here in the United Kingdom to put a game on a Monday night, which might not be the best Premier League game, they're paying a rights fee of about £12 million. Pounds. Mm. And a consequence of that is that whereas we all used to be on exclusive contracts with one broadcaster, now they can't afford those anymore. So you're seeing those contracts eliminated. We are all being forced to go freelance, and therefore you have to work three or four times as hard. And a consequence of that, I found, after six or seven years of doing that, was that I was doing 185. I think my, my record was just over 200 games in a year. And you're also maybe doing 50 days of voiceover in a studio. And don't forget that a lot of those games are at the other side of Europe. So effectively, it's a, a three-day trip. Or they involve flying across to America for a few days to, to take in three or four games uh, over there as well. So, in fact, you just never had a day off. And so I'd had the option of going to America for a number of years. And for family reasons, the youngest of our four children is now 17. But yes. I was first asked when he was about 12, and it was going to be too disruptive to our family life and to uh, the children's education to go. But as it became, uh, I think there was a risk, Robert, of it becoming almost a grind in the UK because you were having to do so many games. And I was getting frustrated not being able to devote the preparation time that I felt the games deserved. And so the idea of going back to my old sort of schedule of 35 or 40 games a season in a completely new environment, Major League Soccer, which I mean, no one's pretending it's anywhere near the standard of the Premier League, but what it is is a very exciting prospect and project that is getting better season on season. And I think ultimately there's no question that the United States will be a football power on a global level. I mean, it's not going to be any time in the next five years, but 10, 15 years down the line, I think there, has that, there is that exciting prospect. So I'm just really giving you an idea of my thought process behind sure. turning my back on working full-time in the Premier League and the Champions League and going and, and testing myself on something new. And, and that stems from your question about how on earth do you prepare for 185 games a season? And my answer is you can't properly. Uh, and that's one of the causes of, of my career move to America. Oh, John, you know what? I'll, I'll share this because I, I really respect people in your position. Uh, I've respected Martin Tyler for many years. Um, I think in, in recent time, you, you've got so many different commentators that have come through and done well. Uh, Peter Drury, we spoke to last week as well, and, and he's done a fantastic job. You know, when I listen to Major League Soccer, as it's called, soccer. I mean, football, soccer, but as it's called. And I heard your voice for the first time. I was eternally excited. I, I know we don't have rights here in South Africa to be watching it, but we do from time to time get the occasional highlights packages, and your voice is on them. And immediately I'm like, this is the right decision that was taken 
to have you there and for you to even agree to go across to the United States of America, family uh, considerations and everything aside, I understand that. But you've just given that league that stamp of approval, you know, because John Champion's voice is a universal voice. We who love football know your voice in your days in the EPL, and now you're there in America. And, you know, say whatever you want to say, but, John, you, you made the, the, the perfect career choice and decision in a league that I think deserved the kind of quality that you give. Well, it's, it's very kind of you to, to say that. I mean, I think there is a feeling that um, having, a, in inverted commas, well-known commentator helps to authenticate uh, the coverage of the, the league over there, and I'm, I'm lucky to ride on that wave. There are others that would think that really it should be Americans that should be commentating on the highest no, profile games in no, Major League trust Soccer. Me, John, that, I am sorry to come in. I'm sorry to come in. I've listened to that before. It, it just sounded very... It sounded very made up. It sounded very baseball-y, basketball-y. It, it sounded like there was a lot of compensation that was being made to try and sound very soccer or football-y. That is why I'm saying that your decision to be there, and, and trust me, in, in the future, fine, Americans can, can do it, but you're the original voice of football. Well, and that's the other thing I would say on this particular topic, Robert, because people are constantly asking me on social media, and indeed if, if I'm doing interviews, you know, have I left the EPL forever? And I think the answer is probably no, I haven't. I mean, I've made this move, um, I'm 54 years of age, because I started so early, I've already got 36 years under my belt, but I'm 20 years younger than Martin Tyler. So wow. hopefully I've got another 20 years at least of, of doing this job, but I just think that variety is the spice of life and this is a wonderful opportunity to do something in a slightly different way to have to embrace different thought processes different broadcasting ways of operating because putting sport on tv in america is hugely different to elsewhere in the world in terms of their work practices and the way they like to do it and then maybe further down the line i get to have another bite at the premier league i was delighted to to come back to the UK in um, December and, and January. ESPN, my employers in America, allowed me to come back in the MLS off-season. And I, I called five Premier League games, a couple for the Premier League and, and three for Amazon as well. We've got some rights in the, in the United Kingdom to broadcast. And that was great fun. But I, I'm very happy with the decision I've made. And I, I like the balance that I've managed to, to rediscover in my life, really, between work and family. I think that's, that's a big thing. Because we should all remember that whilst football is a wonderful distraction, and it's been a theme throughout my life and will continue to be so. Um, it's not the be-all and end-all, and maybe current circumstances around the world are reminding us of that, but it does play such an important part in all our lives, of course. Oh, I love that. Wandi Lemdana on Twitter says, John's our eyes and ears on the ground. His spontaneous reactions and also words has sometimes been more memorable than the moment itself. His remarkable memory, opinionated manner, and infectious enthusiasm made him the face of the game and the legend that he is. Let's listen to a couple of voice notes as well that have uh, obviously been flooding through our studio uh, since we told people that we're going to be chatting to you. Let's listen in. Good evening to you, Mr. Marawa. Can you please ask your online guest as in EPL, who's his best commentator? And how does it feel to commentate a match between Manchester United and Manchester City, Bazun Ganana? Good evening, Mr. Rob. Um, this is Tomaya um, from south of Johannesburg. Um, you have a legend there, uh, John Champion. You know, this guy's commentary is one of the best. Him and uh, 
Peter Drury, you know, I think they groom a lot of us into uh, uh, English football as well. And we have so much knowledge through them. They continue to teach us and we appreciate their work, man. Thank you very much. Evening, 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 the rock. This is Koto here. Can you please ask uh, John Champion uh, what, which, which is the best game he ever commentated? Best game for him, the one that is the best one. I was going through the um, uh, 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 Twitter. I just saw that guy's preparation before the game. It's unbelievable, the Rob. If you can be in his um, 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 study, it's unbelievable to see him preparing the game like he, he, he was preparing. I just saw that post on Twitter. I was so like, wow, this is a lot of work. Yeah, but anyway, I really enjoy your show, Rob. Thank you. It's hot to hear. So. On the end too. All right, Kotso. Kotso, thank you so much indeed. I've got all of a minute left. Um, but I think very complimentary. There, there's gazillions more, John, that we are not going to be able to play given the time factor. Uh, but let me take of what Mbazo said. Which is the best game you have ever commentated? And I think also just included in that, you were asking about the Manchester Derby, what that feels like having to commentate. Uh, the Manchester Derby is it's fantastic. It's one of the highlights of every season because it just seems to be on a higher plane as an occasion for so many of the other Premier League games. I'm aware you're up against time, Robert, so I'll be very brief by saying that the best game I ever commentated on was England against Argentina in the second round of the World Cup in St. Etienne in 1998, when Michael Owen scored his wonder goal as an 18-year-old, and the legend of David Beckham was born, because uh, I think everyone that becomes a a great figure in world sport needs a little bit of notoriety. He married a Spice Girl, he was a great player, but he needed some bad news, and he provided it that night by being sent off for kicking out at Diego Simeone. So that's the game that forever lives with me. Oh, man. I love it. Uh, You know what? Because it's 2010, and, and it has South Africa written all over it, Netherlands, Spain, 5-1. Yes. Robin van Persie's header. Oh. Oh, John. Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. But you know what? I want to thank you, and I hope I get an opportunity, we get an opportunity as South Africans to have another chit-chat. I think this lockdown provides the platform for us to interact and, and, and chat to people of your caliber, though, John. And I really, really, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you so much for indulging us. You have no idea how we in South Africa love what you do. Oh, well, Robert, it's been lovely to talk to you and to hear from so many of your listeners. And I would just conclude by wishing everyone the very best in these difficult circumstances and, and also saying, look, we live in hope and we do know that eventually we will get back to, to doing what we love, which is watching and favouring uh, Premier League football and indeed football from other competitions around the world. It will happen, uh, but we just have to work through these difficult times. But it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you. John Champion, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Marwa Sports Worldwide. Stay safe. And exactly the same to you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. Unbelievable conversations, man. Oh.